Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1335, entitled, I Need a Sabbatical Now. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is Justice League Pod 2. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we live and work, and pay our respects to elders past and present. And now in April for Zero G, we are also talking about Triple R Forever, which is EVA. And in Zero G terms for the April amnesty, that could either apply to... Neon Genesis Evangelion, mm-hmm. the giant robot and Keiju anime series, the classic one, or else it could apply to extravehicular activity in NASES, which is to say spacewalk. And, you know, well, we're all out in limbo at the moment, a little bit in the vacuum, the void, after and during the pandemic, the ongoing crisis that we're all in and you know it doesn't really matter that it's something that zero g has been training for its entire life yeah exactly in an apocalyptic terms but you know so if you don't have the money up front ready to go burning a hole in your pocket or otherwise because you know job keeper ending all those things uh, well if you can just donate something to help keep the station running because i don't know about you the listener But for me, the broadcaster continuing to do the show and listen to other Triple R shows all throughout this time, it has been, well, more than a comfort. Mm, Absolutely. I totally agree. So, yes, the Friendly Neighbourhood Radio Station, anything you can spare, we're much, much appreciate that. And uh, it keeps us going and I think it keeps you guys going. So... Yeah, April Amnesty, another good reminder to um, give us a little love if you if you can, with if and you know if it's within your means. And as Captain Kirk once said in one of the Star Trek movies, it's good for you, it's good for us, it's good for everyone. Now, how much does it cost to subscribe? Well, you probably heard these figures before, but I'll run them by you again. For a full subscription, it's eighty five dollars. For a passionate subscriber, it's one hundred and fifty. A concession is $40, business $150, and a band, artist, or DJ, $85. And where can you subscribe to? Well, if you don't have internet access to rrr.org.au, you can call the office during business hours between 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday to Friday, and it can be processed over the phone on 93881027. So, yeah, we have our call sign and our... Frequency all stuck there in the back there for the April amnesty. All right, then, on to today's Zero G. 
<laughs> Rob steals himself. Rob takes a big breath and prepares himself for today's topic. That I am the Jan of Steel today. <laughs> All right. Zack Snyder's Justice League. The Snyder, yes. the Snyder Cut. We did it. It's got that black and white cover art so you can distinguish it from the original one. It's come out of the woodwork, somewhat of a surprise, and it is available to us here in Oz. You can stream it on Binge, but I do believe if you do not have Binge, you can access it for rent or buy, you know, usual channels, Apple, YouTube, and whatnot. So we took the plunge and we thought, look, We've got four hours to spare because <laughs> you it, need the time. Was it only four? <laughs> yes. So we delved in and, yeah, we took a look at this because I do think it's very interesting as well. It's a bit of a look at the Hollywood process and I think some of the fallout from that, I think it, it's a very interesting thing to have happened. I think it's very existence is something to be intrigued by personally because, I mean, what a strange thing. I have to say having a remake of a film come out or a recut, ver- I mean, you know, we're familiar with director's cut. We're familiar with extended cut. We're familiar with, you know, the five versions of Blade Runner with or without voiceover, blah, blah, blah. But something like this where the director's vision he felt wasn't fulfilled and he's had another crack and that's been supported and had money put behind it and then released, I'm not sure that's ever happened though before, Not not in this way anyway. Well, you know, making a a movie version of a television show used to be something that was rare. Mm, true. And now look, mean, look at that us. That doesn't mean they had to make Return to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> very, very, very true. And, I mean, a lot of people do wonder what was the point of this in that the original was not successful. So, And some would argue that, oh, well, then that's more reason to because it wasn't what was originally intended, so let's have another go. But someone else might argue, well, the first go-around wasn't very good. Why are we putting money into having a second draft of something that's a turd in the first place? So it's very interesting. And I will, there's a whole tangent there on this is where Hollywood puts its money when it could be supporting independent film. But obviously there were very sad reasons as well behind what happened originally. Zack Snyder was slated to direct and he had shot most of it and had a whole vision and a whole plan. And then uh, he suffered a personal tragedy, the death of his daughter, and had to step back from the film. And so it was wrapped up, reshoots, and the final package was completed by in secret, well, uncredited anyway, Joss Whedon, who, of course, had had a hand in some of the MCU films like Avengers. So that's kind of the reason why we are where we are now and (laughs) digging into this extended cut because Snyder has then gone, hang on a minute, (laughs) not happy with how this turned out. I'd like to have a go. Give me some money. (laughs) And uh, he got his way. And, of course, I would say that this was a triumph for fandom and its ability to organise campaigns because, you know, the fans demanded it and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe (laughs) you should be careful what you wish for. (laughs) This is is not the film that Gotham (laughs) deserves. This is not the film 
that Gotham, Gotham needs, but maybe it's the film that Gotham deserves or something. That's, that's interesting though, Rob. I mean, do you, let's get it out of the way now. Do you think, which do you prefer? Neither, really. But, <laughs> Fair. but, but the Whedon one, at least, he was instructed to make it brighter with some mm, more humour mm. and cut the run ta- time down. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That was that was all the uh, the instructions. So, and he did that, and it's an efficient movie, and it does it makes sense to me because you know, steeped in all this sort of stuff, you can sure, leave sure. great swathes of information out, and I'll still get it. So it doesn't feel incomplete to me. Uh, sure, um, that's that's quite interesting because personally, I, I mean, they're both. Not good, <laughs> in my opinion. I wouldn't say neither of them are a good film that I would recommend to watch, but I thought that the Snyder Cut, I prefer it. I think it is a better movie. I think it makes more sense. I think the runtime is indulgent, absolutely, but this is an indulgent thing. It's in, it's an indulgent exercise. Uh, and I will say that it made more sense to me because I thought the original I had no idea what was going on the whole premise seemed a bit of a MacGuffin to me and so I did appreciate some of the extra context that we were given here but I did prefer this I did think that the dark quote unquote darker tone I mean they say the f word a couple of times and he removed all the jokes but the darker tone I did prefer that I think that it sat better with me personally so I think, yeah, interesting. We stand uh, on opposite sides of the the two versions of what we both agree is not our preferred movie anyway, but for argument's sake, yeah, very part interesting. Of, part of what I liked about the, the Whedon cut was that it was shorter and Mm-mm-mm. in the words of um, <laughs> Shakespeare, if it is done, it would be well if it were done quickly. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> Sure. So you were like, rip the bandit off quickly, yeah, whereas it, I was like, <laughs> get it done. Yeah. Well, the yeah. reason why I I I really understood the story from the get go in the Joss Whedon one was because mm. I was marinated in in Jack Kirby's artwork and mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. from the nineteen seventies, and he's the guy who invented this whole uh, new gods, dark seed, fourth. Mm. world and you know and the collected works of, of um, Kirby from that time it weighs 4.4 kilos plenty of material there yeah can't squeeze that into one movie yeah it's like it's like a book that's about four inches thick and you know so I've read all of that so I know all about Dark Seed and Mother Box and mm-hmm. boom tubes the space t- portals that they use to get from place to place parademons all that sort of stuff you know, and 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 it did it did perpetuate itself throughout the DC universe later on, mm. and has has appeared in uh, many of DC's very fine animated movies. Oh yes, nice. <laughs> yeah. You know. So there is actually a bar for Justice League. You know, there's like Super Friends, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scooby Doo and Batman, all of oh. those all of those animated movies. Um, Lego Batman, which mm, is a, a, a personal favourite of mine. <laughs> In fact, it's so much of a favourite and so dark is this film that I think we'll play some tracks. But the first track we're going to play right now will be the the uh, the music for the, the Justice League, the theme. Now, this is actually still from the Danny Elfman score. Uh, it has been re-scored for the Snyder Cut, 
old Snyder man has swung in there and gotten an entirely different um, artiste to do that. But I actually don't care a, a bit for the new score. Uh, it's got a lot of those needle drop tracks that they just thrown in for almost like mimicking a real director's style. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've got to have a, a needle drop here for this during this slow motion scene. <laughs> and the rest of it, it's all it's all choral, you know. It's like you know it's going to be epic because they've got a choir in the background. That's very true. There's a lot, we do CC like closed captions and there was a lot of like, you know, ancient murmuring, <laughs> you know, things like that. Like it's very much, there's this muttering and things in all of the score. I agree. I think they're trying to make it godly, but it's a little try hard. At, at one time in history, it would have been Enya music. <laughs> you know? and Enya. She deserves better though, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, 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 she does deserve better than that. <laughs> Um, and the end, uh, there's a track in the over the end credits, uh, you know, Hallelujah, um, and that is a tribute to Autumn, Zack Snyder's daughter, and that is what it is. You know. I did get a bit misty when the dedication came up at the end and I was like, oh, I can't make fun of you now because you've suffered a loss and this is very touching. Yeah. But, um, yes, he did dedicate that to his daughter as well. So let's play the Justice League soundtrack. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero-G. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) The Justice League theme, which to me is indistinguishable from pretty much any other superhero theme, except it doesn't have the the, the ring of like, um, you know, the Avengers overture. Yeah. Like I can hear the Avengers theme in my mind, whereas I... You know, this is very forgettable, unfortunately. Mm. Tom Holkenberg, also known as Junkie XL, did the the re-cut mm. soundtrack for Justice League. And um, he originally was going to do the first one, the Joss Whedon one, but he was replaced by Danny Elfman. And so he's been rehired to do this one. you got to respect that. But I only just mm. found out about that. So we're going to go with my original musical choices for today. So there, all right? Okay, let's move on. (laughs) So we're saying the Snyder Cut's four hours long. I am so Mm -hmm. grateful I did not see it in a cinema. And I've I've seen The Turin Horse, which is an art house movie (laughs) that feels like it lasted for about 12 hours, even though it didn't. Uh, You know, so look, four hours of this was too much for me. Yeah, I agree. Even with that extra context that I mentioned did help me grasp the story. It's too long. Like it's ridiculous. That's no movie should be that long. Well, director's cut is a term that has two words in it, director and cut. There's a lot of director in this, but no Mm. cutting. No, goodness. Adding, adding, lots of adding. This is pretty much just, um, yeah, he's baked in more stuff that he wanted. There was some removal, like I mentioned before, and as you mentioned, they wanted, originally the studio wanted a lighter tone, something more like what had worked in the MCU for Avengers, so more jokes, more lighthearted stuff, and uh, that's not Snyder's ballgame. So he's removed all that and given it much more of a serious, takes itself very seriously now. My God, yes, it does. (laughs) Do you know the, uh, one of the scenes that, that I actually kind of liked um, in the Whedon cut was where the Flash saves some um, uh, some farmers in 
in oh, Russia. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they added some of this human touch stuff. I like that. See, I can do without that. I don't know. You liked that? Yeah, I did. And there was um, another scene in the Batcave, and for God's sake, they had interminable scenes in the Batcave in the Snyder Cut, um, and that scene was where um, Aquaman was expressing some of his fears and trepidations about mm-hmm. the mission, and it was very mm-hmm. heartfelt. And then they panned down and they showed that he was actually sitting on the magic lasso. <laughs> which should force him to tell the truth. Now, I like that because this is a film that's got no uh, chiascuro in it, no light and shade. It's all shade. Uh, Jack Kirby, when he did those original uh, New Gods uh, fourth world stories, he knew what Mm. he needed to do. He had um, Apocalypse, uh, Dark Seed's hideous kingdom, and the planet of New Genesis, which was a light-filled superhero world in contrast to the other one. He knew what it was about. He knew you couldn't get away with just darkness all the time. (laughs) I guess Snyder did add in more action, though, and I think that's what's meant to kind of cut up the more serious stuff. And I will say the action scenes, because this is a thing I didn't rewatch. I was not going to rewatch Justice League so I could get a good comparison. I just went into this blind, started thinking what I, what did I recognize? What was new? And I had noticed there was a bit more action and, uh, and I did like some of those extra scenes and there's definitely some cool stuff uh, with the flash that they included that wasn't in the original that I was pretty happy with. So I do like that addition of more, fight scenes, uh, especially with the Amazons and stuff like that. I'm less, I don't really remember exactly what was removed. I did a little look up of that, a side-by-side comparison, and then I was like, oh, yes, I see how this has changed. And you're right, they've removed that Russian family. They've removed uh, some of those scenes of them palling around in the Batcave and stuff like that. I did like one, I did actually laugh at one scene where, um, Diana and Alfred are, are alone in the back cave and she starts to make some tea and yeah. gets in trouble because she's making it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> a bit more of that would not have gone astray in a film of this length. A few moments, a few nice moments. You don't need to make it silly. You can still include some some nice touches. I agree. Yeah. And we were hoping for a shawarma moment at the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, did we get that wrong. And you could have just cut that whole epilogue out of the Snyder Cut and it would have made no difference at all, just losing Well, I guess the idea is that he's setting up, yeah, he's added all this stuff at the end and, I mean, are we, does it matter if we do spoilers? Does anyone real? I don't, I don't know. Maybe just, I won't say. The Justice League wins the day. <laughs> <laughs> I guess with the end epilogue stuff, there's a new take on some characters that we've seen already. Clearly, I think I'm just going to say, so just brief spoiler here, Jared Leto's Joker does appear to be a different take on that character, uh, less tattoos, less gangster, a bit more like escaped prisoner vibe. So There's a problem with that because we've had, and there is actually a problem get throwing all throughout this, a continuity canon versus canon sort mm. of problem. Uh, a lot of the other directors who have done the, because this is the original Joss Whedon, just, uh, Zack Snyder, Justice League, whatever mm. you call it, the Frankenstein's mm. monster that got s- stitched together. Um, yeah. That is considered non-canon by other directors who have gone on to do individual 
Justice yes. League films, you know, Aquaman and um, Wonder Woman. Mm. They sort of refer back to the Snyder verse cut now. And this one, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and I'm just so I'm always confused by DC's continuity between its television shows and its movies because they, you know, they're all over the shop. Yeah. I, I don't know how many Supermen they have now, or, or Batman, and I don't actually care. They've they lost me. And well, yeah, because they've got that new Batman with Robert Pattinson. There's some kind of multiverse situation that's being talked about. Oh, it's been suicide. It, it's been on in the um, in the television series across Arrow and um, Supergirl. You know, it's just well, they're doing another thing with Batman, like a Michael Keaton thing where the, all the Batmans together, and also Suicide Squad. You know, they're redoing that like it never existed. So it's kind of they're really keen on all these do overs. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I, I honestly don't care anymore. You know, if you have to make a if you do it and it's a good standalone movie, fair enough, but you've lost me totally on the continuity. It's too much. And I say I that. Will, and, I read comic I books, and I read comic books. <laughs> I will say that I think I had, you know, the, my friend and I, we were like, oh, DC, making fun of it as we were watching this. But I did watch the new Suicide Squad trailer is out. Have you watched that yet, Rob? Is that the James Gunn one? Yeah, and I would say that I am more interested. I mean, it's a little bit sad that they keep just grabbing people who've done successful Marvel movies <laughs> and then getting them to, you know, bring that, some of that <laughs> that sweeter <laughs> magic dust over. But I would see the new Suicide Squad. From the looks of the trailer, it had me interested. So maybe there's hope, but you're right, I'm pretty fatigued at this point. Mm. All right, well, let's have another track here because – I'm really wary of going on too long because I don't want to be anything like the film. <laughs> I don't want to be Captain Exposition because there is so much exposition in this this version. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm actually, I'll stand on this point that in motion pictures you do have the advantage of showing, not telling. And I, <laughs> yeah. I felt like they were just reading exposition page from the script after, you know, you, there was no, the showing is so important and, I was like, dude, I don't want to stand around the back, back cave while you talk about this, especially mm, if it's yeah. going to be such leaden dialogue. And, you know, at some stages I was standing there going, that's not how that line should end. Give us a bit of a pep in that line. Don't just, you know, it's like. Yeah, oh there's no character building either. Like it's not like some of those scenes are are there for making us understand more about the relationships. Like. I don't even think the character relationships were done that well. It was just a lot of power posing towards the end to try to make us feel emotional about things. We'll get on to that later because that's a really ah. big point. So Yes, let us pause that for now and have a track. Let's let's have a track where the character doesn't have daddy issues because <laughs> he's Lego. Because <laughs> he's, he's made of Lego. <laughs> so this is from the uh the Lego Batman movie. It's Batman's song, Untitled Self-Portrait. And it's one of the best things from one of the best Batman movies I've ever seen. Hello, I'm Ray Harryhausen, animation pioneer. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. <laughs> That's Will Arnett there from the Lego <laughs> Batman movie. <laughs> Love that. So accurate. Very true. It just... That's how, you know, if they'd made Justice League the Snyder Cut a musical, 
Maybe that that no, actually the Joss Whedon cut because he does musical cuts. He should have yes. done that. It would, <laughs> I would have been so much more impressed. Ah, oh, as you are listening to Free Triple R again, stop and pause and think a moment and say, how are we listening to this after this dreadful pandemic while we are still mired in the whole thing as well? It's because it's a radio station that is pushed by the public. And also, it pushes back, (laughs) (laughs) floating out there in the void of triple R forever or EVA or extravehicular activity, as we say, spacewalking through time. So if you've got the time and the money, please consider subscribing to triple R during the April amnesty. You know the drill. You can ring up the office on 93881027 during business hours or indeed get onto the internet, hack into that vast digital worldwide web using your cyborg-like powers. Well, maybe don't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) And subscribe to Triple R during the April amnesty. Any time during April, actually. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So here we are talking about Zack Snyderman's Justice League cut the mm-hmm. 2021 director's cut of the 2017 film Justice League. Uh, well, you know, we've had a bit of a wiffle-waffle through it so far. And um, one of the things I was thinking about, I started writing this down before I abandoned my note-taking, <laughs> was daddy issues. Now, if mm. you've been listening to Zero G for a while, you'll know that one of my least favourite cinematic tropes are... Uh, Broken families plus parental issues. Mm-mm. Is there a single character in Justice League who doesn't have that? Ooh, good question. No. No. Batman? I mean, Superman? I think, yeah. Wonder oh, Woman? Oh, no, Superman doesn't have parental issues. I think he had a very loving family. But he's an orphan and- from his Kryptonian family. Oh, good point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Wonder Woman has mother issues. Yes. Uh, Cyborg, he has daddy issues in oh. spades. And so, boy, a- do they get dragged out of the woodwork in this. Aquaman. Mm-hmm. The Flash, so many father parental issues in that one. Steppenwolf. Now, this is um, Darkseid's minion. His father figure is Darkseid, and he failed him. Yeah. So and even Darkseed has issues with the mother box. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have my least favourite trope on screen perpetuated like about across 111 characters. Yeah, and that is true. It's too much. It overwhelmed me and I'm thinking, just go away. <laughs> Get some therapy. I- I mean, you could argue, to play devil's advocate, that a lot of the Marvel characters also have, I mean, Tony Stark, your fave, steeped in daddy issues. Yes. Uh, so, you know, but I think it's all about execution. The, the The sad part here is that that those issues are the core only character piece that we know about a lot of these people in DC. Exactly. So it's their entire identity, especially, I mean, Need I even reference the fight scene in Batman vs Superman where, you know, my mother's Martha too. Like, ridiculous. 
why are we even having this conversation? We can't, it's so just old hand to rely on that trope, I think. And I think that's what really gets your goat, right, Rob? <laughs> yeah, and in concentrated form too mm-hmm. so that so that I don't know whether I'm Martha or Arthur Curry. It, it's, <laughs> very, it's very complicated. And, and this is part of the problem because they haven't done this by developing these other characters like Cyborg and Aquaman because this is pre the Aquaman movie. Ah, I did wonder. I meant to look that up because there was some stuff here that originally we don't see till Aquaman. Like they introduce a bit more Aquaman backstory in this version. Mm. Uh, so that's very interesting. Yeah, so this is his big introduction really, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is the main one where we, we see all the stuff that he does. And mm. I think that's, that is an issue because if you've got to make a four-hour movie to do all this, then, dude, you really needed to make a couple of movies instead. And I'm not saying that there's a there's a Mar- an MCU template for how to do this stuff, but come on, you know, it, it could have been done better than this. Yeah, yeah I think that's a their big problem with it. So that is that is a, a big stumbling block for me, especially when it's when it's backed into so much in this film. Yeah, you know. <sighs> <laughs> Big sigh. <laughs> you know, you know, it's not until two hours and sixty-three minutes because I timed it into this thing until we get to see actual Batman. Really? Yeah, something like that. Either, wow. either that, he, or he was there in the background in the darkness, and I just <laughs> didn't see. I have, I have to say, now that you've mentioned Batman, I will say one of my favorite lines, and I do think it's one of my favorite lines. Full stop. Not just my favorite line in DC is when Flash gets into Batman's car and says, what's your superpower again? And he says, I'm rich. <laughs> sort of it's good. a pretty good exchange. It is, it is. At the same time, as as I think I might have mentioned, I'm sitting there rewriting the dialogue in my head. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's a scene where um, they're talking to Batman as he gets about to get into the Batmobile and do this hell of a drive mm. towards the end of the film. And um, he says something about what he's going to do and I think it's the Flash who's on the radio to him says, what does that mean? And Batman's reply is they're here or something like that, or you know. And mm, and the mm. line should have been, when well, he says, what does that mean? Batman should have said, I'm going for a drive. <laughs> you know, you laughed. And I'm not talking about making glib one-liners for this. I just think you need to pep things up a bit. Because yeah. I swear to God, there was so much techno babble in this film that I couldn't follow it. Mm, they, they, mm, they'll stop, mm. everything will stop while they're saying we've got to do this and that because the radioactive and the trace, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah. dude, movies, show us, don't tell us. Ugh. Yeah, a lot of that meant nothing as well. Like it did nothing to make us understand what's going on. It didn't drive the plot. It made no sense. So, I mean, the one, the thing that really tipped me off was, the title cards. So he's added these act, this <laughs> act structure and these title, these bloody title cards. I honestly burst out laughing the first time, and I was like, "You are not Tarantino. This makes no sense. That's it's ex- dumb." That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> a, a, like a lo- along with the taking itself too seriously was the pretension. Mm, you know? Yeah, and and look, I I don't think that the humor that got put into the Justice League first movie, I don't think a lot of that hit the mark. I think a lot of it did feel forced and it felt like a, a an added layer. And I think there are a lot of ways in that movie did fail. 
And I do think this is a better movie, but I think it is trying too hard to be better. And I think that there's a good medium between these two extremes. But then I'm also like, oh, I don't even want to interrogate this anymore. Like I'm so fatigued by it. It's two movies that I don't think are, neither are very good. <laughs> so, um, the first, yeah, like the, I, yeah. The first thing to do with this movie is to cut it in half mm, mm, and mm. make at least two movies out of it. That's the first thing. Yeah. Have one goal that you're going to achieve here. And then one goal that you're going to achieve in a follow-up rather than this mishmash. Like there's stuff in here with Lois that I was like, am I meant to be caring about this? Yeah. Like, what am I meant to be caring about? Why am I cutting to this? Why am I hearing hearing them tell the story yet again in words mm. when, when a simple hug between Martha and Lois would have done it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just think back to um, back, back, back to the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movie and there's a moment where – they just have the cornfield do the talking. Oh, basically, okay. you know, the wind blows across the cornfield, and yeah. it's in seventy mil or whatever they filmed it in. You know, and and it was beautiful. Yeah, there was no need for exposition there. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm not saying that there aren't some moments of of beauty in this, and indeed some entire sequences. But I said that about the same sequences in the Joss Whedon cut. Mm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I know that they these some of these were filmed by by Zack Snyder, so that's all right. I'm okay with that. I'm not saying he's a total dud, um, but the you know like the Amazon Themis series, yeah. the the sequences there, the battle there, that was great. I think that's some of that's added. I think that's some of that we didn't see in the original. Yeah, mostly details and stuff like I I seem to remember. I don't remember the temple falling into the sea. Yeah, um, that's all new. Yeah, some of that, that sort of stuff. Um, a few bits and pieces. I mean, they did reshoots for this version too. Like that's I mean, there is a – 70 million bucks worth, I think, from what I read. Again, like my head shakes. Like, yeah. I, I have to laugh at um, Cyborg's dad, um, played by Joe Morton, I think, uh, who's one of the main stars of the old um, Eureka series. The little, oh, okay, the cool. little, the little town out of um, super brains out in the in the woods, mm-hmm. and and I tell you that that um, the Eureka guys would have had this mystery, this whole thing wrapped up in forty five minutes plus ads. <laughs> I can <laughs> tell you that right now. Uh, I think this film does actually key better into the uh, into the Aquaman movie for a start. Mm-hmm. Yes, it sets up a bit more. There's a bit more underwater stuff. But I tell you, Zach, if you're going to introduce more Justice League characters in cameos into this movie implying a sequel. You really actually have to finish this movie first before you move on to sequels. You've got to have a movie that actually stops. <laughs> so, And they were, I wouldn't say I was thrilled by the appearance of those characters because they actually mm. felt really clumsily dropped in. It did. It, it, it didn't feel planned. It felt like, oh, yes, let's just do this. And... And he wanted to do it, and so he did it. And, you know, some people make fun of the meta fragments that Marvel scatters through its movies to move it on in the whole sort of context. But I tell you, it's a lot less painful in the way they did it here, having it all in one movie. Yeah, it started to drag. I mean, I will say there is one element that I did like a lot more here, but should we listen to something before I dig into my... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My uh, flash dissection? Yeah. Now... One of the characters in the movie is called Steppenwolf, which, which <laughs> I know what's coming. Which at least it's 
giggles, fits of giggles. And I must say his CGI was better realised in this version than in the earlier version, although he still reminds me a bit of um, the Destroyer from the Thor movies. Yeah, and his face just looks like an angry puppy, like underneath all that armour. He just looks like a grumpy pug. Like, anyway. <laughs> now I can see it. So you yeah. mean it's not Steppenwolf, it's Steppenpug. Exactly. All right, so I thought i got to find a Steppenwolf track that, that conveys my feelings about this movie, and eventually I settled upon Desperation. This is Robin Williams, creator of The Science Show, and you're listening to Zero G on Triple R FM. Hmm. Steppenwolf there. Hmm. <sighs> From 1968. The lovely song, actually, that one. I like that. Canadian, hmm. Canadian folk group from back in the day. Not the DC supervillain of the same name, but that's why we played Desperation today <laughs> off the back of reviewing the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Yeah. Actually, there's a quite a bit of a story behind that Steppenwolf name, and I'm not going into it because I'd be Captain Exposition if I did that, and I've had enough of that. I've had four hours enough of that. <laughs> All right. Actually, you know, one of the things that the uh, the film does, it echoes some of the grace notes of the Avengers films so much. Mm. that it's an issue after those films that mm -hmm. is, you're just thinking it's just repetition and ironically one of the bits they have they've got a cameo from um death stroke yes remember, remember the guy with the samurai swords and the funny costume mm. that looked like mm. deadpool it's because deadpool looks like him deadpool's actually wow. inspired by death stroke but because dc has come late to that yeah. It now reads the other way around, which is even Late to the party. Even more meta from Deadpool's mm -hmm. point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since our guy Deadpool played Green Lantern. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. I think uh he'd rather forget that. <laughs> As I'm sure Ben Affleck would prefer to forget Daredevil. Oh yeah. Well, Chris Evans also was in that Fantastic Four movie, so they've all had their their first drafts, their first pancake. Uh, all right, let's talk about, I mean, look, you know, we have all the same people who are in there, but the, they've got more footage for some characters, like the Flash gets more time, which is funny because he's way faster than everybody else. <laughs> so he gets like quadruple the time, but no. So the Flash, the stuff we get extra from him I was very disappointed with his portrayal in the first Justice League movie for multiple reasons. Reason one was I love the fast-moving characters. Quicksilver's one of my favourites. I think Marvel and Fox doing it with X-Men. Which, which Quicksilver? Both. <laughs> both. No, I, no. So my, my OG Quicksilver is Evan Peters, which is actually from the X-Men done by 20th Century Fox. But I did also like Aaron Taylor-Johnson as Quicksilver in The Avengers. But so I was, you know, that was cool. I'm I'm keen on that. And I love Ezra Miller who plays the Flash in the DC films and is is the Flash here. And I, I think he's a great actor. I think he's beautiful. And I just think the first movie did him dirty. Like the, the Flash was so annoying and it just was very disappointing. So to be honest... I really love what they've managed to do with him. They, I guess Zack Snyder, has managed to do with him here. He's much less annoying because they've cut out some of his lame jokes about brunch, which we don't need. He doesn't need to babble like that to be a character. 
I don't want to see a combo. So I think in the first one, he was kind of a try-hard combo of Tom Holland's Spider-Man and what Fox had done with Quicksilver. And it wasn't, he wasn't doing his own thing. So I'm much more relieved now that some of the scenes that he gets added, I will say we get a couple of extra action scenes from him, which I think are amazing. I think the lightning stuff is very, very cool. There's kind of an, a final fight situation that is a whole new addition that gives tries to give a bit more, you know, meat to his character and motivations, which, you know, is a bit tacked on at this stage, but I appreciate the effort. And he does get a better intro scene as well. So he gets a real intro scene where he gets to do some stuff. And, yes, you could say it's a pretty decent ripoff of what Quicksilver did in Days of Future Past, but it was done well and I think that it was it was a good addition, basically. So I was much, much happier with the Flash here and Ezra Miller's portrayal because I was like, God, Ezra Miller, how did you stuff this up so bad? You were so annoying. But I can see now editing, removing of things, more action for him. It's mellowed out the character a lot and made the character a lot better. So that was I was very relieved. And it also stands uh, me makes me very hopeful because there is a Flash movie a standalone that's going to come out in 2022 and I hadn't realized this but it's actually going to be directed by Andy Andy Muschietti who did the It movies that I really love so my hopes are there that with this new Flash a more mellowed version that it will he'll go on and be even better in his standalone film and that that film won't be crap (laughs) and we'll get to see some more cool Flash stuff because that's all I want and you know, we are getting Ben Affleck's Batman in that. I also see Michael Keaton is meant to be in that. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. I'm interested. They're doing some kind of multiple Batman thing. And, of course, we did get to see Kiersey Clemens as Iris West in this Justice League, and that's a bit of an intro, I think, because she is going to be in the next Flash film. So, you know, Except hopes. There's a scene where... Um... Where I think it is Iris actually is out on the street in the car. Is that Iris? Mm. Yeah, okay. Yes. And the Flash is there, and and for some reason I'm sort of flashing upon similar scenes in The Boys. Ah, okay, yes. (laughs) Yeah, where their character A Train comes running along and runs through a person on the street, and I'm thinking I'm having a lot of trouble watching Justice League because the boys have dominated that sort of dark side of superherodom for a while. And that's darker. That is actually darker. This, just because Batman drops an F-bomb and there's a bit more blood, is not darker. Like, no. So, yeah. I have to to admit at one stage I actually thought that this was the black and white Justice League version that um, Snyder is going to have. (laughs) He wanted to do that. So unnecessary. So that was one of the additions and one of the things I really liked, the Flash's intro and the Flash's stuff, extra action, less annoying. That was really great. And I think obviously the other thing to mention that we get a lot more of Cyborg. Mm. He gets an actual storyline. He gets an actual motivation. And I don't, I need to watch the, well, no, I'm not going to watch the original. Who am I kidding? I don't know how they would have done a lot of this without him. So I don't understand. I don't remember the original, but I know there was a lot less cyborgs. So I don't understand how the story made any sense though. So a bit of an eyebrow raise on that one. There was enough in there because I, I have watched the the other one 
quite closely and mm. there was enough in there to make sense of it. Okay. But there is extra here, obviously, to give you all those Most, yeah. all those daddy issues that he has too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another, pro- another big problem I have with this movie is the almost incessant and gratuitous use of slow motion scenes. Oh, yeah, agree, agree. That's what, I mean, if you cut some of them out, then there's your runtime. It's much more manageable. <laughs> just speed it up. Go back to normal speed. <laughs> this is the thing. I get it. But I just think he needs to get out of his own butt. He just needs to chill a bit. I think he's a good filmmaker underneath all of that. I think there's just a lot of pretension here, a lot of his own expectation and vision, and he's not reined in. I think if he was reined in a little bit, we could get some really good films out of him. I just don't think, I mean, this ain't it. Four hours worth, but I still think it's better than the original, and I stand by that. Well, I think the original works in itself with my knowledge of the Jack Kirby Mm. stuff. So for me it was like, oh, yeah, I know that. You don't need to actually tell me about it. But I can concede that that could be a difficult ask for people who don't know all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. I think that uh, you can fairly judge a genre fan by the point at which during the Snyder Cut, where they just wish that Darkseed would bloody well take over the earth because Eternal Torment might actually be shorter than this Goram movie. <laughs> I think it's either it's either two fairly ponderous movies that you could make out of it, yeah. or else maybe a an actual cut. Mm. where you take out the stuff that really is destined to be on the deleted footage featurette. Or so, just do a series. Like if you want people, if fans say they're going to watch all this content, then do a four-part miniseries. Like, that was the plan, wasn't it, at one stage? They were going to do both, which I'm like, why are we mm, – the state of Hollywood. But they were going to do both and then someone's like, nah, let's just do the movie. Mm. So in some ways I think they should have just done it as a more long-form thing because – I mean, it's on streaming anyway, so that probably should have been the way to go. But anywho, so Zack Snyder. In, in terms Justice of my, League. yeah, in terms of my zero G, yeah, no, maybe rating. We're out there, way out there in the boonies with a um, dark seed. Save us now from this. <laughs> it actually tested my love of cinema. Watching really, watching you really didn't like it. I hated it. I loathed it with a passion. I set out trying. I did try. I wrote about half a page of notes at the start, saying, "Oh, that's not so bad." And then I realised that that was the stuff that was in the weed and cut anyway. Mm. You know, like the, the Amazon sequence and the uh, sure. the the terrorist incident. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. And I, look. Props to the choreographer of the, the stunt action whenever they were doing that and not actually doing CGI. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I can't say as much for the costumer. I hated the costumes in this, especially Batman's costumes. His mm, outfit, yeah. I hated them. You know, Multi-padded pad, yeah. thing, but yeah. yeah. Mind you, that would maybe help him survive some of the action in this. Fair, yeah. fair, fair comment. I- the music honked me off constantly in this, especially the needle drop tracks, the slow motion, the the – enormous amount of exposition, the daddy mm. issues, the fact that these these were characters who deserved to have their own introductions and so on. Yeah. You know, the fact that it just is swedged into the continuity of the whole thing and makes a hash of it. I just, I, 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 mean, I like Gal Goddard. I've always liked her as Wonder Woman. 
Um, she poses well. And she, she does. She fights really mean, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I tell you, I did actually like the fact that they took a little of the, the frat bro-ness out of Aquaman's character. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He just, he's more brooding in this. Yeah, he's better in this one, I think. Other than that, mm-hmm. I got nothing. <laughs> I No, I hear you. All those points... A hundred percent. I do agree, but I still, I hated the first Justice League. I think that's the one that I, the tone was wrong. It wasn't funny. It wasn't exciting. This at least had action that I thought was really cool. And that was kind of enough, but I do agree on all the other points, but I'm comparing two things that I don't like that much anyway. So (laughs) this is the thing, what's best of a bad bunch. And it's a shame because I don't think it had to be that way. I think there's probably a good film underneath all this that we'll never see, but Anywho. Because I loved DC Comics. Yeah. You know, those Jack They've Kirby. Got great characters. Those, They've got great stories. Those Jack Kirby comics, they were just wonderful science fiction, as we saw when they took the Marvel side of it into uh, Thor Ragnarok. Mm, mm, you know. Absolutely. There's amazing, iconic characters. There's great storylines to use. I don't get it. I don't know how they've made such a guff of it, but especially when you manage to do it so well in the in the DC animated films. Mm, so it's pos- it's more than possible. Mm. Absolutely. Baffled once again. Anyway, it's the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. It's roughly about four hours long. Um, where can you find it, Megan? If you, if you, if we haven't turned you off it totally. If you do want to check it out for yourself, you can see it on Binge or you can rent it online from the usual places that rent online media. So, yeah, check it out. See what you think if you're so inclined. But I think we may have uh, not sold it very well to you. But, yes, that's that. Mm. All right. Did we go on longer than we should have Mm. about this one? Possibly. But, you know, we're now mired in that idiom. All right. So... The David Bowie song that this one reminded me about this time was from his Hunky Dory album. And when I was watching this movie, I thought, I'm in quicksand. So that's the track we want to go with. All right. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, Joe Brunatic, coming up next with Astral Glamour. And also thanks to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.